0: Let's do our theme verse. Let's say our theme verse and live our theme verse. How about that? Dear brothers and sisters, I close with these last words Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace, and then the God of love and peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray for those of us that would desire to hear from you, that we would open our hearts and minds uh, to the testimony Mr. Bradshaw is about to share. Father, the way that you Pursued him and reached him later in life. Uh, Some of the things that brought you, uh, brought him to you. I just pray that you would empower his words today, that his words would be your words. It's in your son's name we pray this. Amen. Let's give it up for Mr. Bradshaw, please. Here we go. Bow your heads with me. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your grace. Thank you for calling me a sinful man to relationship with you, for changing my life, for giving me a new heart. I pray something I say here this morning you might use to draw someone closer to you or someone to you. In Jesus' name, amen um this this verse right here was the first verse i learned i committed to memory when i became a christian um not even a when i became a follower of jesus and it is really the the person who discipled me the pastor that discipled me taught me this because it kind of encapsulates the gospel For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For it is by grace you have been saved. I got something that I did not earn. In fact, if I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be standing here right now. So... God's substitutionary sacrifice for me is, is something that I really think about a lot. Through my faith in Jesus and what he did for me, and I'm going to talk about that um, here in a minute, God doesn't see my sinful heart. He sees Jesus' righteousness. And that's not by anything I've done. That was a gift given to me. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it, not by works. Nothing I have done or will do will merit that grace that's been given to me. Therefore, I can't boast about that because I didn't have anything to do with it. We're God's handiwork. God created me. He created you in his image to do something. Part of you being here is this is a time where God's equipping you to play your part in his larger story that only you can play. Why? Because you're created in him to do something. I'm standing here because God prepared me in advance to stand right here. To stand right here today talking to you. And I'm going to show you how his plan was perfect and my plan was less than perfect. So, you know, I'm always a little envious. I told the upper schoolers yesterday, whenever we have an upper school assembly or chapel or whatever, I'm a little envious when I sit here and look at you because you are so far ahead of where I was at your age. A lot of you have a personal relationship with Jesus and are trying to walk that out every day. And when I was your age, you know, before I was 27 years old, I had probably been in a church three times in my life and i didn't grow up knowing anything about jesus knowing anything about god it wasn't talked about in my house we didn't pray before meals uh we didn't we didn't do anything like that going to church on sunday reading the bible i don't even know where if we had a bible in the house i think we did but it was a really different than than you growing up probably but Outside of that, you know, I grew up in Decatur, Alabama, about two hours south of here, and it probably, my growing up probably looked pretty normal from the outside. I had a really good friend group that I was close to that I played sports with and went to school with. I played basketball and baseball in high school. I have two siblings. I have a younger brother and sister two years younger than me who are twins that still live in Decatur. but my home life was was really bad. My dad was verbally and emo- emotionally abusive to my mom and really to us. There was a little physical stuff, but, but not a lot of that. Um, he'd been an alcoholic uh, when I was really young. He had quit drinking when I was, was real young. But my first memory of my father was I was about three or four years old, and we were sitting, he and I were sitting at the kitchen table, and he had this glass with something brown in it, and I, he was, he was really drunk, and he gave me some of it, and I threw it up all over, I think I was three, I threw it up all over the floor, I remember my mom was hysterical, and that was my first memory of my dad. Um. Growing up, my dad changed jobs a lot. He could, he could never stay with one job very long, and we were really financially unstable. It was always where lunch money was going to come from every day was always an issue. If I wanted new clothes for school, I had to work for them in the summer to have them, or my grandparents bought them for me. Um, money was always an issue where, where the next thing was coming from. When I was 14, there was two instances in my life where I was estranged from my dad, and the first one was when I was 14, a you know, where we didn't communicate. Um, There was a lot of arguing, fighting, yelling, screaming in my house, and I remember, and back then, there weren't any cell phones. We had two phones in the house. One was on the kitchen wall, and one was in my parents' bedroom, and my mom and dad, My mom, dad was screaming at my mom, and she was trying to get to the phone to call my grandparents. And I stepped in between my dad. I was 14. I was about as tall as I am now. He's about as tall as me. And I stepped in between them, and we had a little bit of a physical altercation, so he couldn't get to my mom. And so we went, even though we lived in the same house, we went for about the next— three or four months and he didn't say a word to me. He called me everything but my name at that time and didn't come. It was baseball season. He quit coming to my baseball games or anything like that. So we, we got by that. And when I was a sophomore in high school, my bro came home from school. One day my, my brother and sister were in the eighth grade, came home from basketball practice and my parents set me down in our our den and said um and at that time my dad hadn't been working for about a year and parents set me down and said uh, the bank's taken our house we can't make the payments on it anymore and we're going to move in with your grandparents and that was a that was a huge that was a huge thing and prior to that I mean we knew something was getting ready to happen because for about couple months before that, we had really been existing on saltine, crackers, and Kool-Aid. There was hardly any food in the house. Um, we didn't have toothpaste for a long time. I mean, it was really bad. We were just trying to get from one day to the next. And that was, you know, that was pretty, pretty traumatic. The bank took the house. We moved in with my grandparents. And I can remember laying in bed at night i literally hated my dad i literally i mean i begged my mother to get a divorce i begged her but she was too scared of what he might do for good for good reason he he was not he wasn't stable so advance the clock a little bit and graduate from high school and and go uh, graduate from college and I get my first my first job out of college and it's a there was a brand new middle school in my my town in Decatur and I became a, a teacher and the head basketball coach there and I was 22 and I moved I was living in an apartment by myself and I went to my parents one day just to visit and my mom had a Then they were they never owned a house after that so, once we lost that house when I was a sophomore in high school, they never owned their own home after that. So, because of his job situation, and my, my mom had a little clerical job. She worked for a couple of lawyers in town, and she would do the books for them. And she worked at home a lot, and she had a typer. Back then, the laptop, there weren't laptops or any of that. And so, she did a lot of typing and clerical work at the dining room table in their apartment. And he just was having a fit about that. So I'm just sitting there, and he's, he's all hollering and screaming at her and about doing that work. And finally, I'd had enough of that. And I got up, and I, I re- remember being so angry, I, could, I couldn't hardly – I didn't know what I was doing. And I grabbed him. I th- threw him up against the wall. He kind of fell down. Again, he called me everything, but uh, – But Andy, and he told me never wanted to see me again, and that basically our relationship was over. So we went about a year, we went about a year without talking to each other, without seeing each other, and that was really difficult. But the person it was really difficult on was my mom. So I want to stop there with the relationship with my dad and come back to it because when I come back to it, it's going to be really a story of repentance and forgiveness. And the, the biggest failing of my life occurred as a result of my relationship with my dad or lack of it. Biggest source of guilt, um, trauma, whatever you want to call it. I could probably be a, some kind of psychiatrist, beach house or something if if he really got a hold of me about that Um, so I meet at 27 Um, I'm working I'm now at I go after my first year in in teaching and coaching I go to Grissom High School in Huntsville which at the time was the biggest public high school in Alabama and I'm teaching and coaching there and there was two ladies that worked there that thought that it was part of their job description to find me a girlfriend and a wife. I don't know what that says about me, but they were really interested in helping me. So one day after a basketball game, um, one of these ladies has a best friend and they come, they come to me after the game and they say, uh, we've got somebody we'd like to fix you up with. You know. And so the other lady says, I want to fix you up with my niece who lives in Birmingham. Now, I lived in Huntsville at that time. And if you know anything about the geography of Alabama, Huntsville and Birmingham are about 100 miles or so away from each other. So I don't know how that's going to work. So this, this lady that worked at the school called me later to say, what do you think about that? And I said, well, I don't think much about that. But I'll go out with that other woman. And that other woman ended up being my wife so we date for about two years and I asked her to marry me and and she says yes and um, at that time I'd started going to church with her and man did I hate that she said okay we're going to go to church uh, Sunday meet me there or come pick me up and so I would and We'd sit there during the service, and they're using words like justification and sanctification and atonement and all this stuff, and I'm going, what, what, what time's lunch? How can we get out of here? And so we move on to, we're planning the wedding. And one night, she sits me down, and she says, "Um, we need to have a little talk. And I'm thinking, what is this going to be? And she says, there's some things you're going to have to do if we're going to get married. She'd been married once and had two kids. I have two stepchildren. And she'd been married once and been divorced for several years, and she had a bad first marriage. And she said, you're going to have to go to church. You're going to have to participate in church, be in small groups, volunteer, go to Sunday school. You're going to have to read the Bible. You're going to have to be the spiritual leader of our home. And there was some other you're going to have to's on that list. So what did I do? I promptly said, check, and broke up with her. For what we were fussing about this yesterday morning. She said it was about an hour and a half. I say it was about two days. I mean, whatever it is, we, we broke up. And her friend called me that, that introduced us, called me and fussed at me. And I guess the Holy Spirit got a hold of me somehow then. And, and we got back together and got married. And so we had been married about a year. And my dad, who was a diabetic... Uh, and never took care of himself, you know, was supposed to give himself insulin shots every day, was supposed to eat a certain diet, was supposed to do a lot of things um, that you're supposed to do when you have diabetes, and he didn't do any of those things. So he got really, really sick. In fact, he got so sick he went into a diabetic coma, he lost his sight for about two weeks, he was really in bad shape, went into the hospital, um, and never came out um, until he passed away. So while he was in the hospital, I'd become a believer. I was baptized at 29. I had been started at that point to be discipled by an associate pastor at our church. And so now I was learning what those words meant. Justification, sanctification, atonement, all those things that you hear, all those words you hear in church that are so central to our faith. I was starting to learn that. I was starting to grow in my faith. I was starting to really... uh, see who Jesus was and, and what he did for me. And so while my dad's in the hospital, uh, and obviously, as you can imagine, with the relationship we had and, and how I've described him, he had, I don't know if he had a personal relationship with Jesus or not. My, I'm guessing not, but we never talked about it. So while he was in the hospital, this is the, the one of the biggest I mentioned my regret and everything is I knew what I should do. I knew I should share the gospel with him. I knew I should tell him about Jesus. I knew this was an eternal question for him, what he was going to do with Jesus. I knew all that. And I didn't do it. I didn't share the gospel with him. Um, My sister did. And he made a deathbed confession and it really, really bothered, it bothers me to this day that I didn't do that, but even while he was in the hospital and when he was sick and when he passed away, I don't remember hardly one thing about it. I don't remember the funeral. I don't remember, my wife can tell you in detail while he was in the hospital what everything happened, my brother and sister can. I don't remember it. So fast forward the clock a little bit about a year later, and I continue to grow in my relationship with the Lord, and the Holy Spirit convicts me that the problem is not with my dad. The problem's with me. My heart is hard. I have anger and bitterness that's just welled up inside me. And so I went to his grave. I've been there one time and one time only. Um, and I repented, I asked God for forgiveness, repented for my sinful heart. I asked my dad to forgive me. And I forgave him. And my life's really never been the same since that day. And so, repentance and forgiveness is something that I, in, in our family, because now, you know, I do take being the spiritual leader of my family seriously. I do take my relationship with the Lord seriously. I do repent all the time because I mess up quite a bit. Where's Mrs. Creighton? She'll attest to that. Uh, so I go along about, you know, I'm about 33 now, and I'm growing in my relationship with the Lord, but you, you've heard this Paul story, right? Paul, um, he's, he's sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, but there's a thorn in his flesh. You heard that story? There's a thorn in Paul's flesh and he asked the Lord to remove it 3 times and what did what did the Lord tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And I still had this thorn in my side and I couldn't kind of figure out what it was for a while. But through some help of my my good friends my best friend has been my best friend since about seventh or eighth grade we played ball together he's still my best friend and and some other people um, who spoke into my life my thorn in my side was idolatry I put something in the place of my relationship with God in fact I was trying to kind of get a a transactional relationship with God maybe you can relate to that a little bit god if you do this i'll do this or i'll do this and then because i do this i know you'll do this and my idol where what i was worshiping was my coaching career i had been a basketball coach since and wanted to be a basketball coach since i was probably in in high school and without this will sound bad coach hoppy but i I think God gifted me with that a little bit. But because I made it an idol, because I was worshiping that, and as I tried to chase my coaching career, the more I chased it, the worse it got. Even to the point where I came to Brentwood Academy, you know, God ended up taking that from me, but I knew it had to be that way because he'd given me something else. He'd he'd prepared me and given me something even better that now satisfies my soul even more than that, is being in the job that I'm in. So I think that, um, you know, my dad, my dad, God used, you, you know, God's at work in the good stuff and the tough stuff. And when I look at my life, the thing, I, where I see God's hand at work is not in the stuff that I would consider blessings or the things that I really enjoyed. Where I see God's hand at work as I look in the rear view mirror of my life is in the things that I wouldn't have picked. I wouldn't have picked having a relationship with my dad that, that I had. I wouldn't have picked really loving something like coaching basketball the way I loved it and having that taken away from me. But it all worked out because God's plan is perfect. Because it brought me to the point where, it brought me to the end of myself. And at the end of myself is the cross. And now Jesus is the most important thing in my life. It's not my wife, it's not my family, it's not my job. Because those things can't align without a personal relationship with Jesus. And somewhere along about 33 or 35, my, my relationship with Jesus went from belief that he exists to belief in him. It wasn't a set of, it wasn't history anymore. It wasn't just facts it was now a trust in him, and it changed my heart. It changed my life. It changed everything, Pretty, and it was pretty scary because before I was just relying on myself. So I think, um, and a little funny about, you know, God has a sense of humor, and before when, when my first contact with Brentwood Academy um, – I didn't, know, I didn't even know Brentwood Academy existed until about 15 years ago. And I was working at the University of Alabama Huntsville down the road on their basketball staff. And raise your hand if you know Coach Husband and Coach Vasquez, raise your hand if you know them. Okay, so we had seen a, a kid play that was playing here at the time. And one of our, I came up here, I, I talked to Coach Husband on the phone a couple of times. And we came up here, uh, myself and one of our graduate assistants came up here to watch him have a workout. It was before basketball season started, and he was just going to have a workout. So we come, and Coach Vasquez met met me at the door. Um, I think he was about 12 at the time. And that was funny. Coach Vasquez looked really young. So we have the workout. We watch this kid work out, and... After watching him work, he was a good kid, but I didn't think he could play for us, so we, we didn't really recruit him anymore after that. But walking out, we're right in front of the bell tower. We had parked in the visitor section out in front of the, the upper school. And walking out, I said to our graduate assistant, I wonder what it would be like to work there. And <laughs> I, got, I got to find out. I got to find out. Because God had a plan for my life that was bigger than my own at that time. And I just I invite you, you know, if you're harboring any bitterness or anger or anything, or or have a, a, a sin that's sticking in your side like a thorn that's stuck in Paul's side. Repent. If somebody has wronged you or you've wronged somebody ask for forgiveness and if somebody if you need to accept forgiveness from somebody do that I'm so blessed that God's now using me for his purpose and not my purpose let's pray Lord Jesus I thank you that you've made forgiveness and repentance real in my life that your plan for me is greater than anything I could ask or imagine. I pray that anyone in this room who struggles with any of this that I've talked about today would repent and turn from it and ask for and accept forgiveness and lay whatever it is at your feet and forgive as they've been forgiven. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.